Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Rod Freeman. Rod is an international products lawyer with more than 20 years experience supporting the world's leading and most innovative companies. He is currently a partner at Cooley LLP in London, where he has been building a products law team that focuses on creative and practical commercial solutions to worldwide problems. Rod previously worked as the global head of product liability and product safety at Hogan Lovells and has been appointed by the European Commission to its expert group on liability and new technologies. He has also been regularly ranked as a leading figure in the industry, appearing in the Lawyer Magazine's list of hot 100 lawyers in the UK for 2018 and appearing in the Legal 500 Hall of Fame. So a very, very warm welcome, Rod. Hi, Rob. Thanks very much. Absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And before we dive into all your amazing achievements and legal experiences to date, we do have a customary question here on the Legally Speaking podcast, which is, on the scale of one to 10, 10 being very real, how real would you rate Suits in terms of its reality of the show? Yeah, I mean, it's an obvious 10, isn't it, really? <laughs> you know, I, I, I have to say, yeah, we, we, we look at Suits and we think, yeah, I, I know that person and I, I recognise that person. And Really, what we're saying is there's a bit of that in me and a bit of that person in me. And um, I think the the thing is, though, if you if you have to accept there's a bit of Harvey Specter and Michael Ross in all of us, you've also got to assume there's a bit of Lewis Litt in all of us as well. So that's that's why I say suits. Yeah, and I love that. I love that response. And it's good to have a partner say say that. So good, good for you. Okay, you've got a really inspiring story. So I want to start at the beginning, Rod. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about your family background and upbringing firstly? Sure, sure. Um, as my accent sometimes sometimes gives away, I, I wasn't born in the UK. I was, I was born and, and raised um, in Sydney, Australia. Sydney um, Sydney's my hometown and in many ways I still still consider it home at, home at heart, um, although I've been in the UK for, for more than 20 years now. But I did, I did start my career in Australia and it was really in Australia that I became a products lawyer. Um, but I, I started my career in the um, western suburbs of Sydney. Um, I was the first person in my family to go to university and ended up managing to find myself uh, doing a law degree at university. And, and back in those days, without sort of people around me to, to guide me in the profession or give me clues as to how to navigate the profession, um, I, I struggled to, to land anything at the big firms, but ended up at a, at a really, really great firm in the uh, outer western suburbs of Sydney. At the time, was a, a seven-partner high street practice. Really, we uh, we did um, yeah, conveyancing for mums and dads and families, and um, a little bit of commercial work. And uh, and yeah, generally, it was a, it was a it was a nice little uh, commercial slash domestic practice in in the, in the western suburbs of Sydney. And that's where I started my career. And and at least in those days, um, I, I certainly assumed that's where I would be for the whole of my career. It seems a long time ago now. Yeah, great stuff. And you mentioned you were the first member of your family to go to university. So what was it that inspired you to go to university and then specifically to study the law? Yeah, well, it was one of those things, you know, I, I was doing okay at school um, uh, and you know, was, get, was getting reasonable marks. And, and I guess on that basis, it was always assumed I would, I would go to university. But um, it took me a long while to work out really what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to be a marine biologist. And that was my... Uh, that was my goal. And then as I started to hit my last two years of, of high school, I started to think a bit more about a career and, and realised that actually, while it might be fun to be a marine biologist, sort of career options might have been a little bit limited. Um, and at that time, I entered a mooting competition that, that my school had entered into. 
and and I did pretty well in the, in the mooting competition, and and that made me think really for the first time actually maybe maybe a career in the law. Um, yeah. So within my last two years of school, I, I ditched a lot of my science subjects, picked up a lot of the artsy type subjects, and um, ended up becoming a lawyer. Great stuff. And look, you've achieved so much um, throughout your career. But one of the things I wanted to ask is the transition. So why did you make the transition from Australia to the UK? And what was that like? You know, what were some of the differences and what made it quite challenging for you? Yeah, sure. Well, it was, um, it was a bit of a journey, actually. I, um, as I said, I was um, working in this high street firm in the suburbs of Sydney. And, you know, I was there for many years and, and assumed that's where I would, I would stay. But after, after a few years... There, I was, I was doing conveyancing, um, just property transactions for, for the families in the, in people in the local community. One day, the partners came to me and said to me, Rod, you've, you've been doing the property work for a couple of years. Why don't you try your hand at some litigation? We've got a, a little commercial client that has, um, that, that might have a problem. That client at the time was Dow Corning, and that was really day one of silicone breast implant litigation. Uh, so out of that seven-partner firm um, in the suburbs of Sydney, I found myself pretty quickly in the middle of what was to become one of the world's biggest product liability cases. Wow. And I worked on that at that firm for, for a number of years before, uh, in, in many respects, the, the case, the job outgrew the firm, and I ended up moving to a, to a larger national firm. But throughout that period, I had a dream to spend part of my life in Europe and um, had tried a number of times to, to make a transition but again, being at a, um, a suburban firm in Sydney, the, uh, the recruitment agents just weren't interested. Frankly, the big law firms weren't interested in somebody coming from the firm I was at. It wasn't a recognised firm. And so nothing came off. And it was really only as the breast implant litigation was starting to wind up after many years. And I found myself at a crossroads in my career that I thought, okay, one last chance. Uh, one last yeah. try to get, get to London. By that stage, I was a pretty experienced product liability lawyer, so I, I picked up the phone and I rang the partners that did product liability in London, and um, really just out of some cold calls to partners who did what I did, um, I, I snagged a job. It was really sort of three phone calls later, I was saying to my wife, pack a bag, we're moving to London. <laughs> I love that. And again, you're showing some of your partner traits already through just you know that, that BD side in you and that, that sort of picking up the phone side. But uh, I want to still stay back to the early days because... You mentioned you're at this high street firm in Australia, and lots of people will probably be wanting to know, what is the difference between a high street firm and, say, some of these larger, bigger firms? What are some of the key differentials, if you were to kind of sum them up? Yeah, it's a great question. I really value that those first years I spent at a, at a, at a smaller firm and feel very privileged to have had that, that grounding because yeah. I think one of the, the key differences is you are much more in touch with human beings uh, in, the work, in the work that you do day by day. I think in a, in a big firm doing uh, doing corporate work, it's sort of very easy to depersonalize it. You know, everything. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of money at stake, um, but doesn't necessarily feel as personal. But yeah, you know, certainly when, when I started at the high street firm, for example, I, I did work writing wills, and and I had a box of tissues on my desk every time. Yeah, the whole yeah. time because every time somebody sits down and wants to talk through a will, yeah, you know, they they cry. And um, yeah. So I had learned the importance of the, the human touch. And I think that's something I take with me into the, into the work I do now. My clients now are much more typically um, very large international corporations, but the people I'm engaged with are, are human beings and they're people and they, they feel stuff and they're trying to do a good job and they rely upon me to help them do a good job. So I think that personal touch, I think, can sometimes be lost in a big firm, but I, I had, a, had a grounding in that in those first few years that I think has stuck with me. 
Do you know what? That's a really good point because even nowadays with the next generation of lawyers, they're always talking about, well, what do I technically need to be good? And I always say, you're a human first, then a lawyer. And I think actually probably having that experience you had right from the start, that's always stayed with you. And I can just hear and see that sort of human side of you coming through and through, which is great. And obviously probably one of the reasons you've got to where you are in your career. So what advice would you give to anyone potentially from Australia or abroad thinking of making a similar move to what you did? Yeah. I think the advice I would give from from my experience is to not assume that the way things have been done in the past is the way things always have to be done. I mean, and as I yeah. as I was explaining, my route to getting the experience in in the UK was different to most because I wasn't from one of the big firms and I didn't sort of take that very normal route where in the larger firms in Australia, you, you know, the opportunities open up for an international international stint. I had to define my own way. So that that would be something I would sort of say to to anyone whose sort of background is not necessarily straight out of the straight out of the cookie cutter that sometimes you need to you need to find your own way. And like I said, my approach was to just decide I'm just going to pick up the phone, be a little bit bold, and and ring some partners. Um, I was a junior lawyer, a relatively junior lawyer at the time, and I can tell you that the partners didn't mind being wrong. Uh, they appreciated that I, you know, all of them, I'd, um, not all of them offered me a job, <laughs> but uh, but they all appreciated appreciated the call. And so I think that's that's sort of part of the key, really. That sometimes for some people, you know, there there is a well trodden route uh, to to a life experience um, or, a, or a career experience. Uh, for others, you have to, you have to find your own way, but uh, don't assume you can't find your own way just because people tell you that's uh, that's not the way it's done. Yeah, I love that mindset. I love that. Okay, and then you previously worked at Hogan Lovells for I believe around seventeen years. Yeah. So what was that like? You know, tell us about some of those experiences and what you learned from 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 your time there. Yeah, and that, that was a, that was a great experience for me because yeah, bearing in mind that that was the firm I landed at. Um, that was the firm that gave me the opportunity to move to London, and um, there was Lovells back in those days, and um, and it really was a, a very rich a rich time for me to spend those early years um, at Lovells, and that firm has evolved a lot. It's now Hogan Lovells, and and it's it's not the same firm as it was when it was Lovells, but but for me, for most of the time I was there, it was Lovells, and it had a a good culture. Um, and it was very supportive of what I wanted to do. And, and certainly in those early days, again, when I came to London with fresh ideas and wanted to do things in ways that hadn't been done before, then I found that um, I, I was given some opportunities and was able to spread my wings a bit and, um, and create a few things, and, and it worked out very well. And at the time I moved to London, I, um, I never assumed it would be permanent. Um, it was sort of life experience for a couple of years, then we'll see what happens. But um, to a large part because of the way in which the, the career worked out. I, I, I've stuck and have um, been here for more than 20 years now. Yeah, great stuff. And then, so after that period, I think in 2017, you became a partner of Cooley LLP. And given that longevity of your time at Hogan Lovells, why did you decide to make the move? And are you happy that you made that leap? <laughs> it has been fantastic. It has been one of the, yeah, one of the, the uh, richest experiences of, of, of my career and of my life, really, um, the, the move to Cooley. Um, there were a couple of things that sort of drove me to, to make a change. And I, I think, you know, a, a change in a career is good sometimes. I, um, I wouldn't say that to my, uh, my team around me, at Curly, <laughs> but the truth is that, um, that sometimes a change is good. And certainly for me, I was sort of looking at what the future held um, and saw the way in which my work was, was very much focused on tech and in innovative companies. And I thought, well, I would like to be in a firm that is at the forefront of tech. Um, and I think, yeah, so I yeah. think that that's, yeah, I, I want to work at the forefront of tech. So I wanted to be in a firm that 
that really was going to be at the top of that game for, for the, for the future. And that coincided with me also wanting to find a, a big law firm that had a, had a different culture. Yeah. Law, law firms are, are complicated, um, complicated beasts and, um, and, uh, and culture is a big thing. And I've, I've learned that over, I learned that over the last few years that organizations have a culture and that's very, very real. And, uh, if you have a good culture and lose it, it's lost for good. And so I went on a bit of a search for, um, for a firm that had a culture I was, that I wanted and I wanted to be in. And, um, uh, happily somebody who knew what I wanted said, have you spoken to Cooley? I hadn't at that time. I'd spoken to some other firms, but the Cooley didn't have a products practice. So they weren't really on my radar, but this person kept coming back and saying, you really need to talk to Cooley. And once I did start to speak to Cooley, I, I realized actually, yeah, this is a firm that, that has a very, very real culture that's, that's different, uh, to, to what I'd experienced before. Great stuff. Okay, so let's fast forward to the present day then. So tell us a bit about your current role and what a day in the life looks like. Um, <laughs> each, each day is very different, Rob, um, in some ways. But fundamentally, what, what I, I have a big team around me of really, really smart, fun lawyers. And what we do each day really is uh, help companies deal with challenges relating to their products. Our, our clients typically are, are product manufacturers and product designers, product developers. Uh, ranging from sort of small startups doing really, really crazy stuff, uh, to, um, to the biggest tech companies on the planet. And, um, it's a complicated world for them out there. They're, they're trying to do new things. They're trying to innovate. They're trying to get products on the market that have never been conceived before. Um, and the world's a complicated place. So we help them navigate those problems. Challenges arise all the time. Uh, we help them solve those problems, deal with the regulators around the world and, um, and basically just, um, get alongside them and their technology and help them be successful. But it's, it's exciting for us because we get to really get very close to these companies and, and their innovations and their, their innovative mentality and, and, and approach to the world and get to become part of that and facilitate that. Often I, yeah, I feel like we spent we spent half of our time learning about products and how they're made and how they work and what happens when they go wrong. And I often think to myself, this this beats being a lawyer. You know, this is uh, some, yeah, the law comes in occasionally, but fundamentally, we're learning about products and and understanding the world and finding uh, finding solutions for the companies. Um, so it's uh, it's good fun. Yeah, no, it sounds sounds fascinating. And as we mentioned, since joining Cooley, um, you've been building a different kind of products law team. So can you tell us a bit more about what that means? Yeah, sure. Part of the answer to that is, um, yeah, whilst in many ways people would describe me as a product liability lawyer, product liability has changed a lot. And, yep. uh, and what we do is think about product liability in a much more holistic way because, um, for product manufacturers, um, the risks that they are managing, um, with their products is these days, not so much about the risk of getting sued because somebody's got hurt. That, that, that risk is certainly there and, and a risk that, that, that we help them avoid and, and manage. Um, but the risks to their, to their business are, are, are much, much broader. So a lot of it is around safety regulation and ensuring the products are safe and, and comply with the rules. And uh, so that is very much part of product liability for us um, as, as much as, as the risk of litigation. Um, but more and more, even that's evolving. And now it's about sustainability and the circular economy and repairability and product obsolescence, privacy, cybersecurity. So all of these issues, um, are part of what we think of as modern product liability. Um, and that's, it's that approach to, to risk and, and our clients' problems that I think is, um, um, is the future, uh, the future for the work we do. 
Great stuff. And obviously with the, the pandemic, we've had to really kind of move to this virtual hybrid ways of working. But how have you found managing cases during the whole COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, uh, it's certainly been challenging and um, uh, not been fun the whole time. <laughs> I have to say, I think we're all uh, we're all ready to uh, to stop doing it this way all the time all the time now. But um, we've adapted. You know, we've seen our clients adapt uh, very very quickly and very successfully, um, and we've done the same. So we uh, we've moved to a different way of working. Um, we speak to each other now um, by Zoom rather than face to face, but. Yeah, I have to say we you know, we no longer do telephone conference calls, which used to be a uh, you know, normal part of life. But I've sworn I will never do a telephone conference call again. I think yeah, when this this world in which we are always face to face in one form or another, I think is a much richer work experience. So in some ways, you know, we've certainly missed being face to face and in the same room and enjoying the interaction that that happens when we're together or with our clients in a room. But on the other hand, um, we've moved into this other rich experience of, um, of every, every contact really being a face-to-face contact rather than telephone contacts, which I think is something we can take forward for the future. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's about taking the positives from the experience we've had where, where possible. Okay. And I mentioned in my introduction, you hold multiple leadership positions in the international product law community and frequently work with policymakers about the future around product liability and product regulation. You've been appointed by the European Commission to its expert group on liability and new technologies. You've also served two terms of the board of directors with the International Consumer Products Health and Safety Organization. So just tell us a bit more about all these experiences and how you fit it all in. Yeah, yeah. well, um, uh, I fit it all in, firstly, by having a, a really great team around me. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, and I, I couldn't do it without them. Um, I have to say because um, yeah, they do sort of keep the wheels turning while I'm sort of off talking to, to governments and policymakers about about the future. Um, but but to us, it's, it's all part of why we think we're valuable to our clients because we're not only able to tell them um, yeah what the rules are now, but we also have an eye on uh, what, what's going to happen in, in the future. But for me, it's it's just absolutely critical uh, for for the work that we do. In a world where we are working with clients who are innovating products for the future, they need to know what the future what the future holds. So it's something that I just have to make time for to to spend time in these international forums and also to play a role in influencing influencing the future and, and helping make the right decisions about the future. But it's um you know, it's, it's certainly one of the privileges um, privileges of having done this for a long time to to be able to sort of play that kind of role in in the important decisions of the future. Yeah, no, absolutely. Really well said. And I mentioned again in the intro, you've been regularly ranked as a leading figure in the industry, appearing in the Lawyer Magazine's Top 100 in the UK for 2018, appearing in the Legal 500 Hall of Fame as a partner at a major firm, hold multiple leadership positions, as we know. You know, what what have you done to achieve this? Or what things would you pay back to people thinking, wow, I'd love that success? What, what, what would you say to that? I think um, yeah, again, I would say that yeah, everyone has to find their own their own path. But my path was, I think, for a start to have a have a vision for the future. Um, because I, when I landed in London um, twenty or so years ago, one of the things I I did was I noticed that there was some there was some change coming down the pipeline in, under European law uh, around in the world of product safety. There was some new legislation that I thought was going to change things fairly significantly. So I started taking an interest in that. Learning about it, thinking about it, and talking to my clients about it, and my predictions are right that that did become revolutionary for, for product safety in Europe. And I was focused on it really when no one else was. And 
I think, yeah, particularly in the, in the legal profession, it's, it's a very conservative profession and there's a lot of impetus towards doing things the way they've always been done and focusing on the yeah. things that have proven to be, proven to be successful. Whereas my approach sometimes is, you know, you, if no one's focusing on something, that's a reason to focus on it rather than a reason not to. So I think for me, um, having that vision for what was around the corner, and I think I, I and I think that has continued in, in what I've done. I've, um, I've been trying to look around the corner and predict where, where these changes are going to come from and what impact they're going to have. So that's definitely been, been part of it as, as well as I think, um, being bold enough to, to try things, as I said, that, that haven't been done before and building an international products team. Uh, at the time, at the time I did it really, um, uh, had not, not been done before by, by any other major firm. It wasn't seen as a big profit driver. I found a way to make it a, a very, um, uh, a very successful practice. And, um, and because we're a little bit unique, then, um, it's, it's become very successful. I've also been very, very mindful of relationships. Um, and yes. my you know, philosophy has always been, you know, you, you spend your time making friends, not enemies, yeah, uncompromisingly. Yeah. And yeah, that applies, you know, in, in hard fought litigation when there's a, you know, sometimes there's a very aggressive, sometimes perhaps a very annoying lawyer on the other side. Um, but I've always avoided sort of making an enemy out of those people. I've always, always tried to develop a relationship, even if we're opponents, even if we disagree with each other, even if we never see eye to eye. I always try to leave my relationships with other professionals, um, on, on a positive basis. I've really seen the benefit of that. Um, that, uh, certainly a, a lot of the opportunities I have now, a lot of the successes, the clients that, that come in the door, uh, are linked to relationships that I've built with people all around the world over a very long period of time. Uh, so that's that's definitely something that I try to instill uh, in the team around me that um, that these relationships are important. Everyone is to be respected. Uh, our fellow professionals are fellow professionals, and we we don't make enemies out of people. We um, even if they're competitors, even if we don't like what they're doing, we treat everyone with respect and we build relationships. And it's really important because and it, and it just um, over time it just brings so, so many benefits as well as being a, a nice um, a nicer way to work as well. Yeah, I, I love that. That just oozes to me this the the professionalism that you bring to your job, and you don't necessarily need to like people, but having that respect and just managing relationships in the right way is always a good way to go about business. Okay, I do want to talk about legal tech because you are one of the best tech law firms in the world, undoubtedly. So you know we've had lots of legal tech entrepreneurs come onto the show. We've had Legal Connection that are trying to create the WhatsApp of law. We've had Avoca that are trying to really dominate the automation space. You know how much legal tech do you use? In your current practice, and what do you think is the future for legal tech versus human legal work? I, I think yeah, there, there's absolutely no question that legal tech is going to revol- is going to revolutionise the profession. Um, yeah. And as with every revolution of that nature, yeah, that um, that's going to come with some cost, um, um, and it's going to require people to to adapt and change. But you know, certainly in um, in the work I do, for example, I absolutely see that a lot of what I do now, I'm not going to be doing in, in five or 10 years' time. We spend a lot of time helping um, companies understand what the rules and regulations are around the world, and it's very fast moving, and um, and it can be very difficult to keep on top of, and, and frankly, it can cost a lot of money uh, to uh, to have um, lawyers like us solve those problems. There's no one else to do it, and they have to ask us to do it. But it's um, it's costly, and I don't see that as being long term. I see, yeah, we are we are plugging a gap until technology picks up, and technology allows us to support our clients to establish that technology, and then we um, we move to a different way of supporting them. So I see ourselves as currently in in a 
a transition with, with a lot of what we do and we're starting to leverage that technology to, to support our clients and to make what we do more, more efficient and more cost effective because that has to be the future, but we're not there yet. So I think, yeah, there's, there's, there's a, a lot of change happening now, much more change on the horizon. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. I mean, 2021 has just burst on the scenes with all these new innovations and then NFTs have been top conversations, the wealth of the creator economy emerging, all these new tech advancements. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You have to you have to sort of listen and see what's out there, but it's getting the right balance and what works for each individual firm. Okay, so what key piece of advice would you give to anyone who's interested in your particular area of law? I mean, one of the, so the key pieces of advice is, I think, to to be smart and be flexible. The work I do is, is changing all the time. Opportunities are opening up all the time. And so uh, a lot of it, I think, is, is about being aware of the opportunities that are around and being flexible enough to take those opportunities, uh, take those opportunities when they come. Yeah. And so that I think, I think would be the, the, the key piece of advice. I mean, I would say for my, just sort of looking at my own career, when I spent those sort of first few years, Working in Sydney, I would not have even sort of dreamed of being a product liability lawyer. I probably didn't know what a product liability mm-hmm. lawyer was. Um, it just, it just came, you know, an opportunity came, um, landed on my desk one day, and that was the opportunity I ended up grabbing and, um, and making the most of, of that particular opportunity. So sometimes in life, um, and in careers and particularly in, in law, you can't always assume how it's going to work out. Um, and you can't, you can't always predict that. You set your goals and you and you uh, try to focus yourself, but but also sort of keep looking sideways uh, and see what trains are coming past because uh, that train that goes past may not be the train that you um, you are expecting, but that might be the one that gets to, gets you to um, to where where your destiny is. So, um, I yeah, you know, I definitely give that advice to, to young lawyers thinking about their careers to you know, to 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 be focused on what they want, but also be be looking sideways at the opportunities. Yeah, great advice. And obviously yourself, you know, you've you've reached the sort of if the top, everyone typically has that aspiration of perhaps wishing to be a partner in a law firm one day. How do you motivate, stay motivated? What future goals, aspirations do you have for yourself? Yeah, I'm still learning. I, I learn every day and I do I do tell myself, yeah, that the day I come into the office and feel like I haven't learned anything is probably uh that's probably a sign that it's, it's time to stop, but that day's never going to come because it's such a dynamic area and that's what yeah. that's what excites me. Um and I think even in my own area, yeah, the, the practice of product liability is very, very different now uh, to what it was 10 years ago. And for the reasons I've said, it's going to be very different uh, 10, 10 years from now. So being part of that change is very exciting and very stimulating, as well as working for the clients that we do. Yeah, they, these companies um, just um, uh, just have su- such amazing ideas and have such boldness and and are just doing things that I could not have conceived uh, a number of years ago. So having the privilege of being involved at that level with those uh, with those companies will continue to get me out of bed every day and um, sort of uh, skipping into the office most days. Okay. And a couple of final questions from me. What one key skill do you think you have at the moment that if you were to, if you were to remove all of your skills from your from your toolbox, what's the one thing you would not want to lose and why? I think um, judgment, um, the judgment that comes from experience, definitely yeah, where I am now, that's, that's my, my big value add. I'm, I'm surrounded by really, really great smart, smart lawyers, most of whom I'm just in awe of in terms of the, the brain power that's around me. What I do have over them is experience. Um, yeah. on the whole. Uh, and I think uh, to be a really effective lawyer, you need to be smart. And But you, you know, very often, with a, especially with a lot of the things that we're grappling with, uh, with our clients, 
there's no substitute for experience. You know, there's not much I haven't seen. I've I've dealt with the biggest problems companies have had. Um, so uh, it's very rare a client comes to me with a problem and I think, well, I've yeah, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. That that doesn't happen because I've seen some pretty bad stuff uh, happen to companies. So I think that experience is probably what I leverage most of the time these days. That will always be valuable. I think. Yeah. And obviously, you know, we have been through a pandemic. We're hopefully coming out of that. Um, fingers crossed, touch wood. Um, you know, we, we need to look after our mental health. We need to look after ourselves physically. Um, you know, what do you do for, for downtime and to try to get time away from the office? I'm a very big believer in, in downtime. I think, I think it's absolutely critical. And, um, and certainly within our team, we, we do spend a, um, a lot of time talking about this and thinking about it and finding ways to ensure that everybody is finding their way to have downtime. For me, I have um, have been a cyclist for a long, long time. I, I used to race. Oh, wow. I had a bit of um, racing in my blood, and um, I don't race anymore, but I still um, I still enjoy getting out on the road on a weekend, spending four or five hours out on the bike, turning out the miles and breathing in the air and um, you know, switching off the brain. So that's that's my way to switch off. Everyone has their own thing, but for me, that's uh, that's been absolutely amazing. So that need for speed. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> Um, I think there, there, there is a little bit of that in it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Okay, Rod. Well, I've been absolutely fascinated and loved having you on the show. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to have thoroughly enjoyed what you've had to say today. So if people want to follow or get in touch with you about anything we've discussed today, what's the best way for them to do that? Feel free to shout out any web links or any relevant social medias or LinkedIn, and we'll make sure we share them with this episode for you too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm certainly happy to be um, contacted at Cooley. My details are on the website, so um, so usually sort of email is the, is, is the best way uh, best way to contact me. I you can find me on LinkedIn as well, and people do reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, sometimes my responses are a little bit slower through LinkedIn, which is why emails are sometimes better. But you can certainly keep up with me on LinkedIn as well. Great stuff. Thank you so, so much, Rod. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Wishing you lots of continued success with your legal career. But from all of us on the Legally Speaking podcast, over and out. This week's review comes from Annie Lewis, one, two, three. Annie says, 10 out of 10, would recommend, really helpful for law students. Thank you so, so much for your lovely, kind words, Annie. Really means a lot to all of us here on the Legally Speaking podcast team. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Legally Speaking podcast. If you enjoyed the show and want to help support us, remember to leave us a rating and review on Apple iTunes. You can also support the show and gain exclusive benefits, bonus content and much more by signing up to our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com forward slash Legally Speaking podcast. Thanks for listening.